So Joe Biden, you have to take the presidency from Trump. He has to take it from him. For a coalition of decent people in this country who look at this rightly and just say, we can't do this anymore. I'm David Plouffe. And I'm Steve Schmidt. This is Battleground, a podcast from The Recount. Steve Schmidt, my old friend and adversary and now colleague in arms. Talk about where you see the race today. Can Biden put together enough of these battleground states, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Michigan, North Carolina, Arizona, and Florida, to win? And what do you think his best pathway is to victory? I think that he is in a commanding position right now in the race. And if you gave both sides truth serum, everybody on the Trump campaign would much rather be on the Biden campaign. Every time that Trump tries to appeal to the non-college-educated white male voter through the fear campaign, targeted, for example, in states like Wisconsin or Minnesota, Ohio, he's putting himself into difficulty with college-educated women voters, particularly in Sunbelt states like Arizona and Florida. And he's in real trouble in the state of Florida with senior citizens, though he's overperforming with Hispanic voters. I think Florida is probably the most important state here. I think it's a checkmate in the Electoral College or as close to it as you can get if Biden wins it. It's got the dual purpose of also being clear on election night or very early the morning of the 4th because they're going to count more of their votes on Election Day than most states are because they release a lot of their mail-in ballot results that day. We can save the country months of pain if that type of victory comes. I think that there has to be a real focus in this final stretch on the Puerto Rican vote, which is in the I-4 corridor around Orlando. Hundreds of thousands of Puerto Ricans living in the state of Florida that had to move there because of the hurricane and the terribleness of, of Trump's incompetent response there. What would be great for the country is for there to be a decisive determinative election that makes it very difficult for Donald Trump to claim that it was taken from him, it was stolen from him, that it's not legitimate. So I I think when you look, I think the state of Florida puts it away for Joe Biden. You know, with your Lincoln Project work, one of the things I like about what you guys are doing is you're really taking the wood to Trump in really creative ways. But you're also doing some both comparative ads and positive ads for Biden. So I'm curious, what are you seeing in Pennsylvania? We're going to see what African-American turnout is in Philadelphia and in the western part of the state and how many Obama Democrats in the T can come back to Joe Biden in his home state. You mentioned the T of Pennsylvania for people who aren't Keystone state experts. That's kind of the area between Pittsburgh and Philadelphia. James Carville sort of impolitically put it as Pennsylvania back in the day. And you know, for a Democrat to win Pennsylvania, they just got a max out turnout and margin in Philadelphia. I think Biden, like Hillary did, will do very well in the suburbs surrounding Philly. So then I think Biden's got to do those two things. They're hard enough, but I, I have some confidence to be able to do that. And then Trump's strength really in 16 was in the area between Pittsburgh and Philadelphia. But he also did exceedingly well in some of those Pittsburgh suburbs. Back in 08, our secret in Pennsylvania was we blew out turnout in Philly. But we did well enough outside of Pittsburgh and in the central part of the state to win. And what happened in 16 was Trump just won those counties by such big margins that even though the counties themselves weren't big, 
10,000 votes here, 30,000 votes here, 8,000 votes here. So what are you seeing in the rest of Pennsylvania? Well, Trump was stronger in Pennsylvania four years ago than he is today. We want to see the doors blown off, as you said, with black turnout in Philadelphia, in Pittsburgh, in Erie, in Scranton, you know, everywhere where there's black voting age population, you hope to see record level turnout in this election. And so that'll be an important piece. And then when you look in the middle of the state right now, Biden is performing better than Hillary Clinton did, and he's not polarizing to the same degree that she was for a lot of different reasons. But this is a state where Biden wants to do everything he possibly can to take this off of the Trump table. I, I think that Pennsylvania will be a fight to the end, but I think Biden is structurally in position to win it. People talk about, is there a hidden vote for Trump? I don't really think there's a hidden vote per se, but what I do think people are not pricing enough into the equation is his ability to jack up turnout all throughout Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, parts of rural Nevada, the Panhandle in Florida. There are a lot more people who look just like Trump's MAGA base than Biden's base in those states who are either unregistered or infrequent voters. And I guess my question for you, Steve, is do you buy that? What he's saying is, that hordes of black people are going to be scaling the walls of the gated communities in suburbia and exurbia coming to do whatever. And they're coming and I'm the last line of defense. And therefore, there's going to be some movement of people organically to rush in defense of Donald Trump on this. I, I, I just don't I don't buy it. You know, there's a scenario where Biden gets back Pennsylvania and Michigan, let's say, which would put him at 268 if he holds all the Clinton states. Trump's clearly trying to put Minnesota firmly in play, Nevada firmly in play. I don't buy Nevada, but I do think Minnesota is going to be close. Do you buy that Minnesota and Nevada, the other state the Trump campaign talks about is New Hampshire? Which of those do you think are real core battleground states? I don't buy Nevada at all. Because of the Latino population? uh, Yeah, for sure. I think that he might be able to induce record turnout in Elko County around Reno in the Carson Valley, but when when it gets down into Las Vegas and that part of the state, I just, I don't see how Trump puts that together. I do buy Minnesota, absolutely. We are looking at that from a Lincoln Project perspective, and I think the Biden campaign's got to keep a very, very careful eye on that state. It is a peculiar state, politically, with a populist tradition that has elected and reelected the Jesse Ventura type candidates. And then lastly, in New Hampshire, it's certainly more real than Nevada. And at a political level, New Hampshire hasn't been ravaged by COVID. And so I think that the dynamic in New Hampshire may be slightly more favorable towards Trump than it is in some of these other states that we're talking about. Okay, we'll be back after a short message. Okay, let's talk about Joe Biden's appeal. What do you think about Biden's ability? I have some confidence, I don't want to overstate it, that he's going to reach his suburban target. And not just with women. I think there's college-educated suburban male voters that Biden's showing real strength with. 
But, you know, it's not just the suburban maximization. And quite frankly, there's a lot of attention on rural and exurban counties, and there should be, because Biden wants to lose some of them by 20 rather than 35. But, you know, he can win back some of these blue collar counties or expand the margin back to what we historically think is possible. At the beginning of the cycle, I was at a dinner and I was the only vestigal Republican there. And I got put on the spot and I said, what was the advice you would give to a Democratic candidate? I thought for a minute and this is what I said. Imagine there's a building site in Manhattan and big building going up, 80 stories, hundreds, if not a thousand people working on it. And first Democratic candidate for president walks by that site and the people working on it are just invisible to them as though they're oblivious to it. The second candidate walks by, looks at the people working on it. Some of them are smoking, tattoos, lunch pails, and they say, God, don't want to ever see these people out in East Hampton, and thank God they don't live on the Upper East Side. Third Democratic candidate walks by that site, and what they see is the dignity of labor. They see guts and daring. They see people working 700 feet in the air, welding. They see plumbers and electricians, and they see people doing trades that not in a million years could they do themselves, and they have deep respect for it. And and that Democratic Party is the party that John Kennedy would recognize, that Harry Truman would recognize. And and that Democratic Party is a is a party that I think Joe Biden still has a root and soil attachment to. I think it's in the fiber of his bones. I think it's deeply embedded in the DNA of his of his story, his background, the America that he grew up in. Go back and look at some of the old Ross Perot presentations from the early 1990s when he predicted what the net effect would be on some of these trade deals. And I, I'm a free trader. We both supported presidents and campaigns that shared those positions on it. But there's a lot of devastation in these towns, a lot of hopelessness. And I, I think Biden has the ability to see the pain, to talk about how we get out of the mess we're in, but also to confront Trump in a way that these good people that live in these places that have been ignored and not seen for so long that they see someone who's willing to fight for them. And it's not the con man. It's the good guy who's going to sock the bully in his nose, proverbially in the debates. And I think that's what he's got to do. Yeah, because certainly it's the case that Donald Trump is no friend of the working man in this country. I agree with that. I mean, I think Biden's got to be tough in these debates. That'll be more important, I think, than any policy pronouncements. But this, to me, is the battleground, that those people who live in blue-collar counties who are undecided come out of that thinking, this guy's for me, and he's tough enough to fight for me. Listen, the Biden um, appeal to those voters, you know, is real. I mean, I can attest to it. I can't tell you how many meetings I was with him in the Roosevelt Room or the Oval Office, where whatever the policy debate was, He'd talk about the nurse and the firefighter and the auto worker, and it wasn't a shtick. He just meant it. I mean, it's kind of the windshield that he sees the world through, honestly, is how does this affect people who work with their hands? And I love the image you talked about, that skyscraper, because I do think, A, that's what more Democrats need to do, and B, I think it is authentic to Biden. Do you think, you know, absent Biden collapsing in the debates, this thing's on sort of a true and narrow course? 
I think that there are two things that are confused as we discuss politics in this country. And there's a political question and there's a sociological question. And the two get mixed up. The political question is an overwhelming majority of the country knows Trump is incompetent, that he's inept, that he's stoking chaos, they disapprove, and they want him gone. And I think Joe Biden is assembling one of the broadest coalitions in our lifetimes, from Bernie Sanders to disaffected Republicans, who believe in Americanism, the ideas and ideals of the country, believe in democracy, and they want him gone. And so that's the political question. The sociological question is, wow, we got 32% of the country at least that is in full thrall to a cult of personality. And this is a country where individualism is an important thing. It's a country that historically has been somewhat immune, not from cults, but from a cult of personality rooting itself into American politics. The Boogaloo Boys, the extremism, the assault on the concept of truth, all, all of these things are going to have to be dealt with societally, and it's going to take a long time, a lot of years. I mean, there was a story in the paper about German far-right parties marching with banners of Trump. Right. Think about that. It's so revolting. As you talk about where the country is, where the race is, that to me all rings true. And if Biden can land the plane here, I really like where he is. What gives me pause, and you and I have talked about this off mic, the truth is the only state I feel super confident in right now. And I feel confident that I see a win path for Biden in Florida and Arizona and Wisconsin, but it's Michigan, right? And so that would put him at like 248. Like the truth is, you know, you can construct some scenarios where Trump ekes by in some of the other ones. And so that's the only thing that gives me pause right now. You know, I think particularly if Biden in that first debate has a strong performance, you know, maybe we're heading to an election where, you know, Biden can win all the battlegrounds and even the Texases and the Georgias. But, you know, if he doesn't have strong debate performances or the race continues to tighten a little bit, that's what brings me up. But I agree with you. I mean, I think in every battleground state, much less the country, I think north of 50 percent of the people have decided we can't rehire this guy. He's going to do everything he can to try to make the race about something other than what's about right now, which is Trump. Right. And he's out of control. He's out of control with regard to events. You know, there's just chaos everywhere around the campaign, including the fact that bears mentioning is that and I don't you know, want to talk about this for a minute. I can't wrap my head around where the money is, right, where that they could have a cash flow crisis in a campaign that's gone through $800 million. I, I don't. It's astonishing. Well, let's talk about that, because you and I have both run campaigns. And the truth is, there's some days you're really dumb strategically and you make bad decisions, but you're always trying to be as cheap as possible or right? conserve those resources. And we see stories that, you know, Brad Parscale, the former manager at a car and driver, you know, they're just spending money really in an unprecedented way. So I, I have a question for you, though, about that. Like, one, I do think that puts them in a strategic disadvantage. And the one thing we thought with Biden coming out of the primary was, you know, he would be at a disadvantage financially. I think he's now got the advantage. He was spending money on the air all through August. Trump, remarkably, an incumbent president, was dark 
because he was broke. It wasn't because they, you know, they try and spin it as no one's paying attention, but they're broke. So what does that mean, though, in the election? Like, what what do you think that's actually going to mean in these states? I think the hardest thing to do in politics is to turn out somebody who's never voted before. Yeah, for sure. That's just chosen not to. They don't have the competency really to be able to do it. They don't have the money to be able to do it. And And I think every time they do that stuff, they hurt themselves in Arizona and Florida, where people are just repelled by the racial animus that he also needs to win. There's just no evidence to suggest that the shambolic nature of their enterprise lends itself to being able to accomplish that. Stick around and we'll be right back. Let's get back into it. I think Biden should be heading towards a pretty comfortable lead. But when I look at these states, I'm not overly confident in them, you know? I think that's totally fair. The reality is, is this race is tighter in these states than it is in the broader country. And so Joe Biden, more so than most, he's got to go out there. This is like a heavyweight fight. You have to take the presidency from Trump. He has to take it from him. He has to take it back for a coalition of decent people in this country who look at this rightly and just say, we can't do this anymore. And so like he, yeah. he has to be fierce yeah. and good in these debates. And it's all this bullshit, too, about, right, oh, you're going to raise expectations high, lower expectations. The stakes are too high. The American experiment is on the line in this election, and we should make no mistake about it. The Republican convention was an extraordinary event. It was unprecedented in the political history of this country. And you look at it through three prisms. The first was the breathtaking lying. Extraordinary. From the opening gavel to the closing gavel. The second was the utter lawlessness of it. And Trump's celebration of that at the end. Basically, that nobody can do anything as I break the law repeatedly with the use of taxpayer dollars for political ends. And then lastly was his seizure and perversion of unifying symbols of the American Republic, turning them into partisan totems to express his authority as the leader of the country, of a faction over the whole of the country. In essence, what he was saying was, I am the truth, I am the law, and I am the state. And this is antithetical to every precept Every idea, every ideal of the country, it is fundamentally autocratic. It is illiberal, meaning not consistent with democratic values. The American era that lasted from the end of World War II through Barack Obama's presidency has been brought to its end by Donald Trump and by the COVID tragedy. He knew how dangerous this was. He knew how lethal it was. And what did he do? He sowed misinformation, disinformation, and chaos in this country. Now we have 200,000 dead Americans. And that number will ultimately exceed the total number of casualties in the Second World War. Shattered economy. A million broken dreams. We have the education of every kid in this country profoundly disrupted. We have... Every ritual of life disappeared, gone. 
from birthdays to funerals, bar mitzvahs to first communions, being able to be with a sick parent, that parent being able to see the birth of their grandchild, a tailgate in the fall. It is all ended because of one person. And that person is the fool who is sitting behind the resolute desk in the Oval Office. And so the country cannot take four more years of the historic incompetence and ineptitude, the malice, the division, the dishonesty, the assaults on the rule of law, our institutions, and our essential structures of governance. A cult of personality that is rooted in the identity of an illiberal leader has to be confronted. It can't be confronted passively. And that's what this election's about. All right. Well, that wraps it up for today, Steve. This was a lot of fun, as I knew it would be, and look forward to gabbing with you, you know, over the next seven weeks and, and after that. It's going to be a hell of a ride. Good to be with you, David. Thanks, everyone, for joining us for the inaugural episode of Battleground. Next week, we're going to dive deep into the most notorious battleground state, maybe the most important state of 2020, the state of Florida. If you like the podcast, please rate and review us on the Apple Podcasts app. And please remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Steve Schmidt. I'm David Pluff. Aliyah Jackson and D. Scott Carroll engineered this podcast. Allie Rogers is our associate producer. And Christian Castro-Rossell is our executive producer. Battleground is a podcast from The Recount.